Father God, we thank you for Damien. We thank you for the gifting you've given him. Um, Father, we're really excited just to be journeying with Slago as they are with us together and bringing the good news of Jesus to this island of Ireland. So just bless our brother, Father. Give him just a, a comfort and a peace deep down in his soul that he's got the very words from yourself to bring to us this morning. So we thank you for him, Lord, in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Oh, well, I'll start by saying thank you. <clears throat> it's an honour and a privilege to come somewhere that nobody knows you. So who is he and what's he doing here? And why is he here? And why should I listen to him? Well, I don't know. But um, we've been doing the leadership of Sligo and the leadership here have been on a couple of dates. Uh, <laughs> as somebody put it, we're dating. We're not fully committed, we're dating. No. <laughs> but we've met a couple of times and um, we just have this relationship because there's a couple of people in our church Neville and Jacqueline, who came here or attended here, and now who live and work in Sligo, and they are very keen to see the, to see the not the differences, but to see the um, similarities between us. So they've been trying to get us together, so it's actually very good, and it's cross-border, and it's nice, and it's good to meet other churches, other, see how things are done, and, but anyways, I'm from Sligo, as I say, and I could preach a message on anything today, because when you're in somewhere new, you can pull out anything, and sometimes that's not right to do, to do. but I thought, I'm going to tell a bit of my story, because you'll understand more of me when you hear my story, and you, hear, you understand more about people, and um, there's a number of reasons for it. It's up there. Uh, TNT. What is TNT? Okay, there's a few chemists in the room, I'm sure they could tell me what it is, and it's a big, long word here, train it, I'm not even going to pronounce it. TNT, I'm not talking about this explosive material, I'm talking about truth and testimony. I'm talking about theology and testimony. God's word and the, living it out. That's what TNT is to me. It's about living out God's word. So it's about living out the truth that we're learning, that we're hearing, that we're reading, that we know. And actually, it, it's not much good if it's only T. It needs to be TNT to be explosive and be powerful because it's only in the working out that it becomes real and it becomes powerful. And the living and active word becomes real when you live it out. So we have, um, in our church, we do this share your story morning. And we did one last Sunday. So I was sitting there thinking, I wasn't sure what I was going to preach. And I had a message and I thought, no, I'm going to just tell me story. Because stories are powerful. Not because of the stories, but because of the God who was in the story. And that's what it's about. And God wants us to know and experience in him in the way we live out his word. And sharing your story with other people is powerful because it encourages people. It tells them that, or it shows them that God is real. He's not just a scripture or a poster or a word or the, the Bible or something, but he's actually real because I've experienced it. And salvation is about knowing Jesus, knowing the Father and knowing Jesus. And it's an experience, John 3, um, 17, 3. It's about an experiential revelation. It's about experiential knowing of God. So anyways, we do, we do this... Um, share our story in our churches every so often to encourage people to make God real in our stories. And everybody has different examples and bring different, different facets and different understandings of God. So it's actually amazing when you listen to, I never really thought of that or whatever it might be, you know. But anyways, <clears throat> I could give you my testimony, but I'm not going to because we could be here. I've only got uh, whatever I've got. But I obviously am from Sligo. I grew up as a Catholic and um, I always believed there was a God. 
So if I fast forward to my teenage years, I had a friend who became a Christian, and I thought, what's he after joining? Some cult, it's mad. And, but he gave me one of the little Gideon's New Testaments that we used to give out in schools. So I thought, well, if they give them out in the schools, they can't be too bad. So I started reading it. So I started reading it, and I thought, I'm going to find everything I believe in here to prove him wrong. The only problem was, well, I was a teenager, no, come on, I knew everything. But when I started reading it, I realized, wow, the stuff I believe isn't actually in here. It's a completely different side. I'd never understood it or never realized it. And I thought, this is the truth. Uh, so I thought, what am I going to do? I discovered a God that we all know of, who isn't distant and who loves us and who actually cares and who is personal. And he isn't up there with the stick and all the kind of images we grow up with ready to punish, ready to catch us out, watching over us for the wrong reasons to catch us out as opposed to uh, pour his love on us. But anyway, I discovered that, and then I thought, he's right. But then it took me about four or five years to real let the penny drop, because I like to process things. I'm a slow processor, but it's too slow sometimes. And <clears throat> eventually the penny dropped, and I realized. And I'd read a few books, and I'd met a number of Christians along the way, and I've really put it into two, two minutes. But I realized, yes, God, I, I want to accept you. And I did that. So I, I was at a meeting on a Saturday night, and he preached from John 3, and where, you, where else would you get it? And he preached, and he said, you want to become a Christian? And I said, yeah. So that, that was a Saturday night. The next night, I went to the, um, the Elam Church in Sligo. That was back in 1991, and I've been there ever since. And that's just where I come from. Um, we call it Sligo City Church now. And it's like that church would have started back in the 80s as a small group, and it would have moved through various buildings and various leaders in the intervening years. And currently, there's probably 100 plus. It depends if they all came. It might be 140. I don't know. But don't, don't, not everybody comes. You know the story. But anyway, there's a good number there now, and it's quite solid. And uh, we had John Mark down to preach before Christmas, and we've had a few meetings ourselves. And as I said, Jacqueline and Neville are the, um, the contacts. And there's been people praying in Sligo about, just about Sligo, which we're very grateful for. Uh, we take all the prayer we can get, you know. But, um, and we've met, as I say, and we both have a passion for God. Uh, I was sitting there actually thinking, the last time I was in Cold Rain, and I know I was here meeting a few years back, and I came here, I came a Christian in 91, I came here in 1992 for New Horizons in the Cold Rain College. And I can still remember Tom Batgate was the preacher, and he was preaching on judges, because it was that good. And I wasn't used to hearing stuff that was that good. And I can still remember some of the things he actually said. But the worship was amazing too because it was the first time I'd seen just worship where they just raised their hands and it was just a freedom in it. And I thought, oh wow, this is different. Now, I don't even been a Christian a year, but anyway, that just came back to me this morning. But being a Christian is not about leaving one religion to join another. It's about becoming a follower of Jesus. It's about walking with him, talking with him, listening to him through whatever you're going through in life, whatever your story is. And that might sound simple, but it involves a commitment that brings a challenge and a change, just like any relationship. But I have found walking with God over the years has brought me peace and his care into every area of my life, every area of it. Now, at times I've walked, like I felt like I was in the desert, where are you, God? And I've ignored him at times. And I've done all the stuff that we normally do. Uh, well, not all the stuff, but anyway, so yeah, in, in, in walking with God. Sometimes a relationship goes quiet or it goes... Uh, very quiet for a couple of weeks or months over the years. But that, that has happened to me. And I'm bringing this story up to date because I'm sharing the next part of my story in the hope that it will encourage you in your story. And that's all I ever want to do when I speak is to try and encourage something, somebody with something that you can take on your journey, for your journey. Because it's God's word, it's not me. 
but it's God's word in my story, and it's God's story in my story. And I'm not unique in my experience, and I'm not trying to make my experience the norm for anybody else. I'm not trying to be emotive or make an argument, but this is my story and my testimony. <coughs> Back in um, October 2020, I was sitting reading. I read in the mornings, um, just for a few minutes, and... I was reading a passage from the Gospel of Mark, which just happened to be where I was that day. I tend to go through books at a time. And I was on Mark 14, and verse 55, 55, yeah, it says, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And that morning that line jumped at me. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Jesus is taken by a mob. We know the story. He's sent to the Jewish leaders. He stands falsely accused. We know it's falsely accused. In front of the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. He listens to people make false statements about him. All lies. And he says nothing. He remains silent. He's about to be condemned to die. Spat at. Blindfold. Beaten. There's no support. There's no help. There's no 999. There's no ambulance service. There's no doctors. There's no, no, there's no oxygen. There's no pain relief. There's nothing. And he remained silent. He could have spoken up. He could have refuted every lie. He could have asked some questions himself. He could have counter-argued. He was brilliant at it. He, he spent his three years doing it. He was an expert at it because he knew God's word. He says nothing. He remained silent. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He knows the scriptures. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus knows nothing, or says nothing, knows everything, says nothing, because he knows that he will have the last word. He will have the last word. And this is not the time for the last word. Jesus listens to a lot of words from influential and important people in the knowledge that he will have the last word. In life... We're going to hear a lot of voices. We're going to hear a lot of people talking, a lot of advice. Some of the stuff is nonsense. Some of the stuff is wrong. Some of the stuff is hurtful. Some of it is well-meaning, and some of it is good. What are we going to do? Are we willing to believe and wait on God's word, knowing that he is in control and that he always has the last word in your situation, in whatever you're facing? That morning I was reminded of what Jesus said to his disciples about dark moments. John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus spoke those words before this incident that I, about where he's been beaten or where he's been questioned and all that. Before his death and before his resurrection. He wrote those words before he actually overcame himself. Jesus spoke those words to his followers, to his disciples, to prepare them for times of distress and suffering. 
You're going to be disappointed if you don't expect any valleys or tough times in life. It's just the nature of life. We go through life and things happen. But Jesus spoke those words to encourage confidence and hope. And he spoke those words to bring life. Life in times of death. Because that's who he is. Jesus spoke about overcoming and about being victorious before it actually happened. And he could speak those words because he always has the last word. Because he's God. Because he's in charge. That afternoon in October <coughs> 20, my wife Mary had an appointment with a consultant. And in the previous year, she'd gone through two operations because she had um, first bowel cancer and then liver cancer. And she'd gotten the all clear in May of that year. But the consultant called her back in in October. And we knew because he was calling us back in, it wasn't good news. Consultants don't just ring you up and call you in for a chat, you know, unless they see something. And that morning, as I read Mark 14, I had a sense that I would actually be sharing those words at her funeral. That's what I felt. I didn't know when it would be. I didn't know how soon it would be. But God shared it with me because he wanted me to know that he was in control despite the circumstances. That he, his words were the words that I was to listen to and carry in my heart because he was in control. And in life, we need to consider God because God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. God is in control. God speaks his word to give us hope for our journey, often beforehand. And then he walks with us on that journey. He doesn't leave us with his word. He doesn't leave us on our own. He actually speaks to us beforehand, and then he actually walks with us on the journey. Because that's the type of God he is. He's not distant. He's not up there looking after all the other stuff. He's, he's real. He's real in all of our stories. No matter what you think or how deserving or how you feel, he's with you. And he wants to walk with you. And God's word has been my hope throughout everything. Now, if God is sovereign and God is in control, who was in control at the, at the death of Jesus? What was going on? <coughs> Matthew 27 says, these are the words, well, I'll get to them. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabnatina, whatever, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus is actually quoting from Psalm 22, verse 1, to describe his agony on the cross. And Jesus is going through a separation from his father that he's never experienced that we know of. And Jesus has taken the wrath of God for the sin of humanity, and he's accepting a sentence of death. And he says... He feels forsaken, he feels, but he's quoting a scripture, I was going to say from the Old Testament, but it was the only testament, it was the Tanakh, it was their Bible. But does it look like God is in control? We can look back with the benefit of hindsight and know how it turned out. But what about Jesus? What about his followers? What about his disciples watching on? What about his family? What about his friends? What about everybody else? They don't know. They don't know what's going to happen. We know because we can look back and that's always the best way to look at things or the easiest way. Where are all the, what's the whole heavenly realms looking on thinking? All the angels, all the principalities, powers, everything. What are they thinking? It looks like a failure. It looks like um, God doesn't know what he's doing. It looks like God isn't in control. It looks like the enemy is winning. 
If you were to look at Psalm 22, and Jesus knows Psalm 22, it says in verse 3, Yet, 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 you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. God was enthroned, and Jesus knew that. And it says in verse 28, For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Jesus knows the rest of the psalm, not just the first line. Jesus knows the end of the psalm. He knows all the words. He knows the last word. He knows the truth. Despite how dark and bad it was, God was still in control. God was working out his plan through the darkness, through the suffering. And the bottom line is, despite the darkness or the pain or the suffering or the confusion or the questioning, God is always on his throne. And I know it becomes a cliche to us sometimes, but he is. He is always in control and he's always working out his purposes. Always. What shall separate us from the love of God? We read it earlier in Romans 8. Nothing. Nothing. Principalities, powers, angels, debt, demons, debt, you name it. Pain, nothing separates us from God and his word and the fact that he's in, always in control, no matter what we think. And the same truth applies to each one of who walks with God. Peter said, and I'm just going to read this and I'll move on. Peter says, Peter who's walked with Jesus and who watched him suffer says in 1 Peter 5, 8 to 11, and I'm reading it from the message. He says, keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. He gets the last word. I jump forward to July the 9th, 21. <clears throat> and that morning I was sitting and reading, and I have a habit. I read the word for today. And I look at the Bible app, because it throws up a scripture each day, and then I read my own passage. And it's just kind of the habit I have. So I just, sometimes, that's the way I start. And sometimes if the word for today has a good verse, I start meditating or thinking about that. And generally, I journal and write. It's just the way I am, and it's just the way I like doing it. And that morning, the Bible app was Isaiah 41, 13. And it said, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. On reading that verse, I knew that God was coming for Mary, my wife. Because I had read a book uh, by Malcolm Duncan, who's an um, Elam pastor in Dundonald, I think. And he wrote a book called Good Grief, which is an excellent book. And I've been doing a counseling course, and this book was, we did one section on bereavement and that, and this book was recommended. And I'd read the book months before, and I'd even discussed it with my wife. And... In that book, he described death as you're holding hands with the person and God comes and holds the, holds the person's hands. When the person who is dying feels God's hand, they let go. It's not us letting go of them, it's them letting go of the world as they sense God taking their hand. And he built a picture around that verse that I thought was beautiful. God takes our hand or the person's hand, and they let go. And God takes them with them. And I knew that God would hold my hand as well 
because he holds all of our hands as I would walk through bereavement and death and grief. And I mention death because it's going to happen to us all. It's guaranteed. It's one of the few things in life that is guaranteed. So we should be able to talk about it. We don't need to fear it. Sometimes we don't, we're awkward around it or even awkward in, in um, situations of bereavement. The other person isn't looking for answers. They're just looking for somebody to, they can talk to and somebody to walk with them. That's all in, in my experience and in what I've read. But that's a whole different thing. But no matter what we're going through, there's no need to fear in life. We can rest on who God is and on his word to us because his word is powerful and through it we can experience comfort and peace. <coughs> Later that night, I was in bed. Mary was in bed beside me. And um, I was praying for, you'd be praying, and we praying, and I was worshipping. And I was asking God for um, another scripture. And this is what I felt was Psalm 61. I think I have the two of them up there. But Psalm 61, verse 2. But it says, verse 1, it says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That is what I sensed was actually happening at that moment. When somebody is dying, they're, they're, well, things shut down and their heart grows faint. And they get weaker and weaker. And I sensed that was what was happening to Mary. And then God was coming to take her. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to your place. Wherever that place is. Whatever you just think that as. Safety, security, heaven, whatever it is. It's his place. That is higher than I. I can't get there on my own. But I'm calling from the earth. And that's what I actually felt was happening. And to me, I felt like that was God's word for me and for my wife at that time. And it was, that word was life in death. Because that's what God's word is. And that's who God is. He's life in death. He's a God of resurrection. He's a God of life. He's a God that speaks his life into nothingness, into chaos, into death, into darkness, into whatever it might be. And I spoke those words over Mary and I prayed and I believed them. And that night her suffering ended. And that night from her, God's last word for her was healing because she entered the greatest healing ever. That's what it was. We pray sometimes for healing for people and sometimes I'm not sure we know what we're praying for because God does heal physically. Mary became a Christian by listening to a tape, a fellow preaching on a tape and she became a Christian through that. And then the guy talked about healing and she, she suffered from epilepsy and she suffered from a heart murmur and she says, I'll have that too, please, just to, on a tape. And she got healed and she never had them for the rest of her life. So I know God heals. But I know ultimately he heals by taking us into a place where there's no more pain and no more suffering because that's the greatest healing. But he doesn't stop us praying for it on earth and expecting it. <coughs> Obviously she died and left me. But anyways, one month later, on the 10th of August, she died on the 10th of July. One month later on the 10th of August, I received a, a, a receipt for the grave plot that I purchased. And I purchased a double plot because it was as cheap to buy two as me buying one. And I was thinking, I was planning ahead, okay. You have to plan ahead. And um, it's, it's only half the time, anyways, you know your story. But anyways, I got the receipt of the grave plot and I thought, looked at the numbers of the grave plot. 611 and 612. Mary is lying in 612. And I thought, wow, God. And I don't say that to make a point or anything, or proof, offer it as proof of anything, but I found, it, I found God's word meaningful and comforting and a per personal sign of his nearness to me in that time. And I couldn't believe it. And I could show you the receipt that says it. I don't throw it up because I think it's a bit corny to show people a receipt. But anyway, I do have it. I have a picture on my phone. But anyway, it just brings me comfort. And I go back to it and I say, God, you were in control. Yes, she died. Why? 
who knows? I don't have the questions. I don't have the answers. I don't even ask the questions because I know God is sovereign and he's in control because his word says it and because I've experienced it. I'm coming to a finish because I'm not going to talk all day. But how has God sustained me since? I've walked and journeyed with God since and his word and his people. And it's like, bereavement is like going through a fog where you don't, even your brain goes a bit funny. There's a whole science on it. It just, it just it, 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 uh, not it attacks, but it, it affects every area of your life, your cognitive thinking to just everything. And it's like going through a fog sometimes, bereavement. And so I'm always looking for signposts. So where's the best place to look for signposts? God's word. And I don't go hunting for them, but I just, tend, I just read every day. And God speaks to me every day because that's the way he is. He, he wants to talk to us. It's just, that's his goodness. And that's just the way he is. And a couple of weeks after his death, I was impacted by these verses in Psalm 27, <clears throat> which says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Because when somebody dies, you sort of feel like your world dies and everything stops. And you kind of go, you know. But I felt God say, I will see his goodness in the land of the living. And sometimes we think of God's goodness, we're going to get it when we get to heaven. We are. But it starts here. This is the land of the living. This is where God wants you to enjoy and experience his goodness in your story, his story in your story. He wants to bring his goodness into your life. And we sing about it and we know it at times, but we get challenged by it at other times. But I want to say to you today, he wants to pour his goodness into each one of your hearts, into each one of your experiences. It does not mean things are going to change overnight because sometimes you have to wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart. But you take heart from his, from his presence and from his word and you walk with that. And that's your signpost to get you to the next day, stage, whatever it might be. It's his word because it's living and active. It's real and he's good. And that helped me to see that while I was going through a season of grief, it was only temporary, and it would pass, and I would see his goodness, and it gave me hope. And when we have hope in or for something, it makes it easier to trust God, and it makes it easier to wait. If you know it's coming, at least if you just hear it's coming, at least you can wait. If you don't know it's coming, you give up. You kind of think, he's forgotten about me. They're not coming. How long do I have to wait? And God isn't like that. He's not playing games with us. I often say God is in a slow hurry. He takes his time. He knows what he's doing. He's working out his plans his way, not my way. I don't tell God what to do. He is in control. And sometimes he gives us a word. And sometimes he gives us a word a couple of months later. That's because the word has kind of gone out of us and we've lost it. And we're kind of going, oh, I'm running on empty again. And he, he, he fills us with his spirit and he fills us with a bit of encouragement and his word again to keep us going again until we get to the point where we walk that season that we're in, that portion of our journey with him. Christian hope is the confident assurance that God is good and that everything he does in my life will work out for good. I read that in a book. I did an awful lot of reading in the last couple of years, especially I read about grief, I read about believing. I like to know what's going on in my life. So I like to read about things. You know, I used to run uh, years ago, uh, marathons and stuff, but I used to read an awful lot and I'd read about programs. I just like to know what, when I, when I do something, I like to know what it's about. When I'm going through something, I like to know what it is. So I did an awful lot of reading. And one of the books I read was Through the Storms by Eric Goodian or something. He's another Elam pastor in England. And he spent 20 years 20 years waiting for God to heal him. 
And he tells a story in the book of a 20-year wait. And I thought, oh, thank you, God. I don't believe for that. But he got healed in the end after 20 years. And I just found it amazing. It's the confidence insurance he could, he could say that God is good and that everything he does in my life will work out for good because he wants us to enjoy his goodness. So he turns things out for good. I think it's the vine said, hope is looking forward to something with favorable and confident expectation regarding fulfillment. But it's not empty hope. It's hope based on what God has said and what God can do. Nothing else. Not what I have said, not what I can do, but what God has said and who he is. And that's the God we walk with every, every day. Psalm 119, I think I had it up there. It's uh, Psalm 119.50. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. In all my affliction, I find great comfort in your promises, for they kept me alive. God's promises and God's word is what has kept me alive. And I've smiled through the journey. People look at me and they go, okay. I say, it's not me, it's God. I'm trusting God. God is good. And I'm experiencing his goodness. And it's a horrible situation to be in, but God is still good. Promise donates anything God has spoken, commanded, or promised. That's what it says in the Strongs about it. Donates anything God has spoken, commanded, or promised. I'm not saying we pluck promises out of here, there, and everywhere. It's not, it's not promise bingo. What number's coming up? It's what God says to you. It's the promise God has said to you. Some people, other people won't understand it. But it's your journey and you're unique. It's your walk with God, not mine. Not somebody else's. It's what God has said to you is what you believe for. And okay, somebody else mightn't understand it. That doesn't matter. It's you and God. And you walk with that promise that he has given you and you believe for it. I couldn't believe the guy going up Kilimanjaro. I'd love to do that actually, but I thought, and I, all those years, 30 years going out to a place and I thought, wow, he must have looked or thought strange when he first went out to that place thinking, what am I doing here? And where am I going? And he said he's not bringing people because it's dangerous and it's not the most comfortable. But, and the people look on and say he's mad, but he's following out a promise of God in his life that he has something that God wants him to do and he's believing for it and he's living it out. And it goes across every area of life, not just death. It goes across everything. Your job, what's God said to you in your job? What's God said to you in your family? What's he said to you in your life? What's he said to you about your neighbor? Go for it. Because God is the God of the miracles. God is the God of goodness. God just does so much in our lives because that's who he is. Kept me alive means to sustain, to quicken, to revive, to restore to life. Kept me alive. His promises kept me alive. His word restored me to life because that's who God is. And that's my testimony and that's my experience over the last few years. I am human. I think I am anyway. Might be from the, down there. I might talk too fast. Sorry if I do. It's too late to say that now. But anyway, you might not understand the twang. But anyway, um, I'm human. I can't bypass grief as if it didn't happen. I'm not saying you pretend it didn't happen. It did happen. And grief is real. And don't quash your emotions. And don't suppress them. Somebody told me that once. You can put a lid on your emotions if you want, but they're never going to. They're always going to be there. They'll find some way of leaking out, be it through annoyance or aggravation or tension or something. So just let it out. Talk it out. Cry it out. Get it out. Talk to God. Whatever way you do, let it out. You need to. That's what I learned. I'm, not, I'm, I'm from the south of Ireland. I'm not very emotional. I'm Irish. We don't do emotions. I had to learn to become emotional because it was the only way it was going to escape out of me. And I can have all of God's word and everything. I can have God's presence. But I still need to open up and be real in all the areas of my life. And one of them is emotions. And we don't like to talk about that either because we're just spirit. We're spirit and that's all. It's not. Your spirit, soul, body, 
You've got emotions. God gave you emotions. I don't have to tell you Jesus cried because you already know it. You have it. So you need to let, you need to express your life and all the areas of your life. And that's where healing comes and that's where God works out what he's working out. And I've had to walk a journey and it's been tough at times, but God has held my hand and journeyed with me. You might have dragged me sometimes. <laughs> I might have been pulling them back. I might have said, let's have a break. But anyway, I, you don't have a timetable for your journey. You don't have a plan. You don't have Google Maps with God. You just have his word, much and all as we'd like it. I don't know how long a fog lingers. Back in 2023, I read in um, Ecclesiastics, it says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. It covers all these aspects of life. There is a time for everything. Go through that time. Your neighbour might be going through a different time. They might be going through the planting time. You might be going through the uprooting time. It doesn't matter. We're all unique. We're not all the same. We're not all going through the same season in life. But we all go through different seasons. And there is a time to mourn. And there is a time to dance. And the dancing will follow the mourning. And when I read that... I thought, too often we believe the season we're in now is our current situation, and that's it for the rest of our lives, because that's all we can see. I'm always going to be like this. It's always going to be like this. I'm always going to be feeling this way. I'm always going to be experiencing this way. It's not. It's just a season. It's horrible or it's good. Whatever it might be, it's just a season. And all seasons passed. And this season is, might be the norm now, but it won't always be. And that, when I read that, I thought... Oh, there is a time to dance. Now, I don't dance. I'm Irish as well. Well, well, a lot of Irish do dance, but anyway. But I read that and I thought, God, it's time to move from tears to laughter. It's time to move from mourning to dancing. And you can't force that. You can't cross that, oh, I just, I just moved from there to there. It's a transition. But I felt God say, yes, that time is moving. You're moving into the time of normality again. You're into a new norm. You're into a newer season. Now, I wish it was just stepping across a line. It's not. It can take, sometimes these things can take weeks or months because we're human and we move at a pace that we work with. But I, I felt that. But all I felt was God is in control. I know God is in me because he speaks his word. I know he sees where I am and I know he's got something else. So I just, I just keep walking with him. I'm definitely finishing. I've been encouraged by reading stories of people who have endured stuff in life, in real life and then in the Bible. And Paul, I love the book of Philippines. It's probably my favorite book in the, in the Bible. Well, it is when I'm going through it. I might find something else the next week. But anyway, it's one of my favorite books because it's a book of joy written by a guy who should not be writing about joy because he's in prison. And it's just crazy. And it's a beautiful book with so many, all this familiar stuff that's in it when you read it. There's just amazing stuff in the four chapters that we all quote, throw up on scriptures, all sorts of stuff, written from a place of prison, written from a place he never planned to be, never wanted to be, never set out to be. He didn't grow up and said, okay, I must put down prison on my bucket list. I want to end up in prison for a while because it's going to be great. I'm going to have such fun. He didn't, but God put him there. And why did God put him there when he was doing such a brilliant job? I mean, he was the top guy. Why would God restrict him when he should have been, oh, the last person you put in prison is Paul, so he's a live wire. Let him at it. You know, we need him out there. And yet he went into a prison season. But he said in Philippines 4, 12 to 13, 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's a whole message on itself, and I'm not going to go into it. But all I can say is, if Paul had to learn it, I have to learn it. He learned it. He didn't wake up in the morning and it was dropped into him. He learned it. He didn't learn it the easy way. I wish you could go to the easy school and learn it. He learned it the hard way. And he learned the secret was to lean on God in your situation. It doesn't mean it'd be easy, but whatever you need to get through your situation is available in God's strength. We call it grace. Grace means strength. That's what it, there's different meanings for it, but it's strength. And I have learned in the last year to become content in my situation because sometimes I want to run away from it because my life completely different than it was. But anyways, I'm finishing. What is God saying to you? What's God's word to you? His word is what he wants to work out in your situation and in your life. So what's God saying to you? It's your internal life that will sustain you in your external life. And it's a life that connects with God. Whatever way you connect with God, that's up to you. Whatever way you listen to God, whatever way you walk with God, but you need to work out what God says to you, but you need to have that connection. You need to have that inner connection for it to be, for it to be real on the outside. Otherwise it won't be. Otherwise you'll fall on the outside and you'll wonder why you tripped or why you fell because it's, he strengthens the inside that you, so that you can walk. And God always has the last word. God always has the last word and it's always life. It is always life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. That's what I put on the tombstone actually. But that's because that's who God is. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me will have life. And that life isn't just eternal life. That life is life now. In your experience now. In your life now. Otherwise we'd all be just wanting to get to heaven. But no, he has a walk for us and he has a life for us. So trust him and allow him to get you through to your breakthrough. Lord, I just want to thank you for Damien. I want to thank you for what has clearly been um, not just head knowledge, but lived out word of God in his life that has been shared wisdom with us today and all of this. And so I just pray you would refill him afresh right now. Holy Spirit, just fill him afresh. Thank you for him, Lord. Thank you that you have been the one constant in his life. And I pray that hope that he has that every day of his life, there's not one moment that he will not be aware of your presence and aware of that life-giving hope that you continue to give him every moment of the day. Lord, I want to pray your blessings over him and your blessings over our friends, our brothers and sisters in Slago City Church. May your peace and may your grace and may your blessings go with him in Jesus' name. And Lord, I want to pray that as this word has been released over us, Lord, you've said in your word that your words will not return unto you void. So Lord, we're going to pray that right now. It's Holy Spirit over every situation that feels dead and hopeless right now. We pray you, the living God, would have the last word in this situation you will have the last word and it will be a word of resurrection and a word that brings life in Jesus' name.
We love you. We lift your name high. The mighty name of Jesus, the beautiful name of Yahweh. We say thank you for who you are and what you've shared with us in Jesus' name.